one who has power over the winds and the waves. Lord God, we look to you. We trust in you, God.
give you praise and all of the honor. You are God. What we live for, we give you praise and all of the glory, God. We give you praise and all of the honor. You are God. Testament about five books back from the beginning of the New Testament, so five books back from Matthew. Um, and Kevin had an opportunity to begin in chapter one. It's a three-chapter, a three-chapter book that is intense, um, that has to do a lot with God's sovereignty, His absolute, unconditional sovereignty, His goodness, His ways, His thoughts. Um, and our position in trust in all of that. So as we, as we begin here this morning with chapter 2 of Habakkuk, uh, let's open up your Bibles to that, um, get to chapter 2, and we'll have Kevin begin preaching this morning. Good morning. <clears throat> See, you all heard that uh, I tend to yell and spit while I'm up here, so everybody's kind of pushed towards the back, kind of safety back there. We're going to have some verses today on, on, on positioning ourselves in safety, if that's a good idea or not. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's my privilege to, to get to teach through this book. Um, uh, we decided a, a couple of weeks ago that that's the uh, direction that we were going to go, and uh, very excited. As Blaine um, introduced a little bit of the book this morning to you again. Uh, he, he said something that's was, that was very true, very accurate in this. This is a very intense book. There's a lot of raw emotion in this book. Um, but before we get into it, uh, let, let me pray and we'll ask the Lord to, to do a work today, do a, a work today that, that only he by his spirit could do. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your revealed word to us, Lord. God, I pray that as we read Habakkuk, as we teach Habakkuk, as we listen to Habakkuk, Lord, that your spirit would allow us to, to hear, that you would allow us to maybe even put ourselves in the same position as Habakkuk, to, to, to place ourselves there, to see the things that he was seeing, to understand how difficult it was to see exactly what you were doing, Lord. I pray that you would just help us to see what you, would, what you were showing Habakkuk in that time, God. We, we want to know you, we want to be known by you, and we know that we need your spirit, we know that we need your help, God, so please help us here this morning, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Habakkuk is a book about faith, 
um, its main point is faith, and we got a glimpse of that at the end of chapter 1 last week. But uh, before we get into chapter 2, there wasn't the, the teaching from last week did not get recorded, so you don't have the opportunity to go back and get caught back up. So what I want to do for you this morning is give you a little bit of review of, of chapter 1. So if, if you weren't here or if your memory is as short as mine, that, that we can get caught back up into chapter 2 in this very short little book because it's all action-packed together. It all um, bears weight with one another. And we want to, I don't want you to feel like you came into the middle of the movie and you're trying to figure out what the heck is going on now. So, so we'll back up real quick, like, um, and, and go through chapter one. I won't read it all, but I'm going to point out some verses and kind of highlight what chapter one showed us last week. And even before that, I want to give you the background once again, just real quickly to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is uh, a prophet of God, um, back in the old Testament, uh, the, the, Twelve tribes of Israel were broken down, and this has to do with the prophecy to the tribe of Judah, which is one of the ten tribes to the south. So this is spoken to God, to Habakkuk, a vision that he sees for the tribe of Judah. Okay, so this was about 600, it uh, starts about 640 um, B.C., King Josiah is, is a good king. He's a young king. And at a young age, he turns his heart towards God. And at a, as a young king, he starts to turn his people, the corrupt people, the people of God that were not following God, that were not believing God, that were not um, o- obeying the law of God. He starts to turn their hearts back towards God. He brings reform on the tribe of Judah. He starts to take down the high places. Mass repentance takes place, and people are turning their hearts and minds and lives once again towards the living God. This is King Josiah, and his reign ended in about 609 B.C. in a battle. And after him, he had a son um, that became King, King Jehoaz, and he was a, a king for a very short time. But he managed in his short time to start to deteriorate what his father had built up. What God was doing in this land, in this country. He started to deteriorate that and turn his people back towards wickedness. Back towards immoral living. Back away from the law of God. The Egyptians came through and quickly took him away. Captured him and he died over in Egypt. So a second son was put on the throne. Son his son, um, Jehoiakim, he came and he took the throne and he followed in his brother's footsteps, continuing to lead the tribe of Judah into moral and spiritual decay. This is the time, the reign of Jehoiakim, when the tribe of Judah, God's chosen people, the Israelites, the Jews, when they were becoming bankrupt in their spirituality, when they're becoming bankrupt in their understanding and their knowledge and knowing of God and following Him. It was during this time that Habakkuk had been crying out to God, look at, the, look at all the injustices that are happening. Look at all the things that are going on. Look at, look at your people, God. Why will you not answer? Why will you not save? Look at the, the, the people of, of righteousness are being oppressed and the people of, of wickedness, they're exalting themselves and they're using these people. They're taking advantage of these people. God, why will you not save? This is what you do, right? You're a just God. In chapter, in verse 2 of the first chapter, it says, Why will you not hear when I call to you violence? Why will you not save? Why do you continue to look at iniquity and not do anything about it? Why are you idle? 
We see that in verse 3. He declares that God is idle. Why are you idly looking at all this wrong? So his first understanding of God in this time of him praying, this long, long season of prayer, long time of prayer, he's praying to God during this time, he sees that God is doing nothing in his mind. He's calling him to be idle, saying that he is silent. Why will you not save? Then we get into verses 5 through 11, and it's an astonishing answer that God has for him. So here's a man of God that loves God, that worships God, that believes God, that follows God, and is looking up at God and he's saying, why are you not answering God? Why are you not saving your people? What's going on? I've been praying to you. And God answers him. He says, look, at the, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. This is verse 5. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. So this group of people, God is the one that's behind them. It says he's the one that is raising them up. I am doing a work in your days. I am raising up these people, these people that are overtaking you. So this is his answer. When he says, God, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this nation, this group of people that is not serving you? You're an idle God. Why aren't you doing anything? He says, I am not idle. I'm doing something, but you will not understand what I'm doing. I am raising up this group of people to overcome you, to overtake you, to bring you guys to ruin and to destruction, to destroy the temple. And obviously this is very confusing to Habakkuk. This is why God says that you you wouldn't believe this if told. God understood. God knew that this was going to be a very difficult thing for him to hear, for him to understand. One simple verse, verse 12, he says, God, are you not from everlasting? Oh, Lord, my God, you're a holy one. We shall not die. So in that moment of confusion, he looks up to God and he declares that he's an everlasting God. Then he gets right back into his questioning. Why do you idly look at traitors, verse 13, and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Why are you using this group of people? I understand we've got our issues, we've got our problems. Why are you taking this wicked, horrific group of people to bring judgment on your people? I mean, we're, we're bad, but we're not that bad. What are, you, what are you doing here, God? What are you doing? And all he sees, the next few verses, just this a picture, just this understanding that, that, that these people are going to devour his people. That the unjust are going to devour the just. Verse 17 says, is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing the nations forever? How long, God? How long? So he starts off, how long is this going to be? How long are you going to allow this to happen? How long? And he ends here in chapter 1 saying the same thing. God, how long? What's going on? What are you doing? I don't understand. I cannot see. And so last week we understood, we, we, we pulled away a couple things from this and we understood that God is not an idle God. 
He is always at work. Even when we don't understand what he is doing and what he is up to, God is not idle. He is not silent. And we also came to an understanding that we do not understand what God does. We don't understand. We don't pretend to know the mind of God and to know his ways. In the whole book of Habakkuk, God never explains his ways. He never says, okay, here's, what I, here's exactly what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and how I'm doing it. He never does that. So confused, verse 1 of chapter 2 Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watch post and I will station myself on this tower and I will look out to see what he will say to me. So Habakkuk positions himself above the, the, the noise of his own heart like, like a watchman in a battle would position himself up on his watch post to, to hear back from the battlefield what the news is so I know what to do, how to respond, how to act. I need to hear. So I stand up there on this watch post of mine with no agenda, with no assumption, just waiting to hear from God. And what we said last week, this is exactly what we need to do. We take our presuppositions of what we think God needs to do or what he, we think that he is. We, we know that he's a good God, so this is exactly what a good God does. We know that he's a loving God, so this is exactly what a loving God does. And this is what he looks like. I know. Let me tell you how he works. We realize from this, we don't know how he works. We don't know the mind of God. And I need to pull myself up out of what I think he should be like and how he should work and just listen to him. Can I get a cup of water, please? So this is where we left off last week. What will God answer Habakkuk? Habakkuk has taken up his watch post. He's waiting, he's listening. God, will you answer me? What will you say to me? I do not understand. I am ready to hear from the God that I don't understand. He believes him. This is why he's at the watch post. He has faith in God. This is why he's at the watch post. He just doesn't understand. Let's pick it up in verse 2 of chapter 2, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Here's the answer from the Lord to Habakkuk. And the Lord answered me, Write this vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will, surely, it will surely come. It will not delay. Here's what he says. Verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects all his own peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffings and riddles 
for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself up with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnants of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples, for you have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is, not, is it not from the Lord of hosts that people's labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to the cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal of image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, silent. To a silent thing arise. Can this teach? Behold, is it overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So, In the darkness that is Habakkuk's circumstance, the, the, the people of his own nation are turning their backs on God, running away from God, doing their own thing. Then he sees this, this judgment come upon him by the Chaldeans from God. God's behind this. It's going to get way bad. It's going to get really ugly. And in that moment, he says, I want to hear from you, God. And what does God say to Habakkuk? The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. That's verse 4. God doesn't tell him how it's going to end necessarily and, and exactly what's going to become of Judah and, and how he's going to do it and why he's going to do it. Let me lay out this plan. Let me answer all your questions for you. What he says is, is this. To a man that's having a hard time breathing and seeing and, and just the difficulty of it all, God looks down to him and says, look up to me. The righteous will live by faith. You need to trust me. You need to trust me. 
This is a significant verse as shown by Paul in the New Testament repeating this verse a handful of times in the book of Romans. The author of Hebrews does the same thing. You guys, I'm sure, have all heard this quoted. The righteous shall live by faith. What is faith? Faith is a gift from God. The book of Romans makes it abundantly clear that faith is a gift from God. It's not something that I have earned. It's not something that I deserve. It's not something that's ambiguous. It's not something that's, that's, that gets out there. What, what is, it's faith in something. It's faith in Jesus. The book of Romans says that I can be saved. I can be made right with God once again. I can be made right from my sin. I can be made right by my faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done for me. It's a gift to God for, to, to me to help me see and to believe, to look at Jesus and go, that's Him. That's my hero. He's the one. It's all about Him. I believe Him. I want to follow Him. I've got to have Him. That's faith. It is free. Faith is God's mercy and His grace towards me that I could have peace once again with God if believing in Jesus Christ I will have life. So, so what, is this faith, what does this faith look like? Romans talks about this, this faith quite a bit about, you know, giving us an understanding of, of what it is. So it explains what faith is, how this faith comes about. I want to know what it looks like. Does it look like anything? Does it look like something? Or is it just this, well, I... I just look into the Bible, I see that Christians need to have faith, and so, well, I, I think I'm a Christian. I, got, I, I must have faith. I've, well, yeah, I've got faith. I look in the Bible, I, got a, I, I need belief. I got belief. I got faith, I got belief. They're, they're gifts to me by God. So is this just something I need to know? Does faith look like anything? Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that faith does look like something. The first verse says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for. The convictions of things not seen. If you are assured of something, if you are certain of something, you're convicted of something, you're quite certain that this thing will bring you hope, you are going to live in such a way that will prove that you have faith in that. So faith isn't this obscure thing that's off all by itself, I just claim to have. Whatever I have faith in, Whatever I have assurance in, whatever I'm convicted of is going to give me hope. Whatever it's going to give me life, I will live for that and I will live towards that. 
The rest of Hebrews chapter 11 talks about these people who went on to live for something that they did not see. They had this promise. They couldn't see it. It was from afar, but they considered themselves strangers and aliens in this land because they hoped for a different land, a different place, whose walls were made by God. Live for something different. It shaped the very way that they lived. It shaped the very way that they thought. Whatever you hope for shapes how you live. If you believe that that power and authority is going to bring you life, if you're hoping for power and authority, you will live towards that. You will serve whatever it is that gives you power and authority. You will use whoever you need to use to get you power. You will do whatever you need to, to gain this power and authority. And this is what will define you. If you believe that it's your identity and your status that's going to give you life, if this is what you hope in, your identity and your status, you will serve that God. Maybe it's your beauty, how you look. This is going to give me life. This will give me joy and peace and satisfaction. This is going to give me life. This is what I will put my hope in. So I will serve this God. I will trust this God. Or your job. Children. The list could go on and on and on. You see, your life is shaped by what you put your hope in. If you put your hope in Jesus, your life will be shaped by that. God is the giver of faith. It's this free gift to anyone who will believe that Jesus is life. He gives life. God is the one who gives that free gift. And in the book of Habakkuk, God is calling out Habakkuk to live in that free gift of his faith. So God is the one that gave Habakkuk his faith, his trust in God. And God is looking at him in this situation, and God is calling him to live out that faith which was freely given to him. He's looking at Habakkuk, and he's saying, trust me, Habakkuk. Trust me. Follow me. Believe me. Not only Habakkuk, but all the righteous people that were of the tribe of Judah during that time. When they were ones getting taken advantage of. When they were the ones that were being oppressed. He's saying, trust me. Trust me. And not just those people, but the people of today. And all the people around the world who are being oppressed today. Who are being taken advantage of. Who are being killed because of their faith. God is looking at them and he's saying, trust me. Trust me. He looks to you and to me and he says, trust me.
Is there anything in the book of Habakkuk? Even though God may not answer Habakkuk directly and explain himself all the way thoroughly, is there anything in the book of Habakkuk that will help initiate trust in God from Habakkuk? And I would say, yes, there is. We're going to take a look at six different things that God helps to initiate Habakkuk's trust in him. You see, God doesn't ask us to just follow him blindly. God allows us to see. Even though it's far off, even though it's way out there, he allows us to see the promise and the hope that is him. Let's look back in the chapter. And we're going to take a look at six different things that bring hope to Habakkuk in this time of difficulty. The first thing that we see in, in, in basically the, the first 15, 17 verses, I suppose, is that God is a just God. We see a picture of these Chaldeans and these nasty people, how they're gathering people up, how they're just destroying people. They're bulldozing people. They're bulldozing the earth and taking over all these people. And we see quickly in verse 6 that says that, that you're, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself up with these pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake make you tremble? So we see that, that, that God is going to bring justice but specifically down here in verse 16. It comes from God. It doesn't just come from another powerful nation. God is a just God. He does not turn away at injustice. Verse 16, the middle of the verse says, The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. God doesn't look away at the injustices of the world. He is never idle. He is never silent. So God is a just God. Habakkuk, you can rest in that. The second thing I want to look at is God, his promises are a certainty. In verse 3 it says, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. God's promises are a certainty. He told him, this is going to happen. Wait for it. It's going to come. It's going to come. And all these people that have lived and died in, in biblical times, and all these people that have died in faith prior to us, everyone, no one has seen the final promise of God. All of us are still waiting for it. Waiting to see the coming back of Jesus Christ for the second time. But he says, Habakkuk, wait for it. It will come. And in that same verse, we see that it will not delay. We can trust God because it, it will not delay. Everything has its appointed time, it says at the beginning of verse, chapter, or, uh, verse 3 of chapter 2. 
Everything has its appointed time. See, Habakkuk, he kind of just is living in his, in his small little bubble, in his small little world, and, and, and it wasn't really that long ago when King Josiah had turned the nation towards God. Yes, it was some years ago, but we got to remember, we got we to gotta remember, you guys, we need to remember this. We need to take this away from this verse. So wait for everything's got its appointed time. We are living in the plan of God. We are living, our little narrative right here in Prineville in 2014 fits into the big narrative, the big story of God. Habakkuk sees this, this one little narrative of, of, of one of the tribes of Israel, of Judah, during this one season. And he questions God. Where are you, God? What are you doing? Why all these things? We, we will do well to remember that this is the plan of God. This is a much bigger picture than just now. This is a much, much bigger picture than just me and just my circumstances. Can't we get that way? Can't we get so myopic that all I can see is, is my little tiny world and my little tiny life? And tomorrow, I can only see tomorrow. I, like, this last two weeks has been horrible. The last two weeks, what's going on, God? Why won't you listen to me? Where are you? plan of God is a lot bigger than two weeks or 80 years. And it's not just bigger in time. It's bigger in just me and my people. See, the, the, the plan of God wasn't just, isn't just for the tribe of Judah or for that matter, the nation of Israel. It's expanding to the entire planet, to the entire earth. Wait for it. It will come. It will not delay. It is certain, and it has an appointed time in my plan, in my time. Fourthly, to give Habakkuk an ability to be able to trust in God. God shows him that his plan is working. God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't see what you're doing. You're going to use a, a more wicked nation than us? to. to I mean, we, what, was it, what was his complaint in the, from the original, in, in the original beginning of the, of the book? Was, it was that your justice is being thwarted here. People are not following you, so, so Christianity is shrinking. It's imploding. Your, your nation, your people, we're screwing this all. It's getting smaller and smaller, and, and justice will never be served. What does verse 14 say? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk, my plan is working. What I set in motion stays in motion. We're told that Jesus is the one building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Trust me. Trust me. My plan is working. 
That brings us to the fifth understanding that we have here to bring us to a trust, an ability to trust God, and that is this. Speaking of the same verse, that, that God says that His glory will fill the earth. Man, man ascribes for glory. Man wants to be lifted up. Verse 16 says, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. So the man's desire, man's heart is to be praised, is to be lifted high. And these Chaldeans, they're using people, they're killing people, destroying nations, gathering people, using people to build, to build, to build, to get higher so that my glory will be known on one little hill in one little nation. And God says, no, no, it's, it's my glory. My glory, your glory will be overthrown. My glory goes and covers the whole earth. So when Habakkuk looks and sees and fears the Chaldeans and they look so powerful, they look so ominous, they look so daunting, and they're, no, no, it's, no, God's power, God's glory, He will cover the earth. Not the Chaldeans, not mankind. And lastly, we see, how can I trust you, God? Give me something in here. At the end of the chapter, something that just ought to just bring that that balm to our soul once again. Verse 18, it says, What profit is an idol when his maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Of course not. It is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. This verse speaks of everything. 20 speaks of everything. He is powerful. He is glorious. He is completely sovereign, which means he's absolutely in control. He is never silent. False idols that we erect, false idols that Chaldeans erect, false gods have no breath in them at all. The things that we put our hope into, we've got to serve these things. There's no hope there. There's no life there. These idols cannot ever help but me. But me, God says, I am not silent. And I am positioned in my holy temple. Do we need to know any more than that? Do we need to know any more than how big and grand and great God is? That that He is doing this? That He is in control? That He is sovereign? That everything bows before Him? That He is just? That He is God alone? That this is His plan? Do you need to know how it really ends for you even here? 
No, we don't need, we just need to know that the just, that the righteous shall live by believing in that God. If I believe in that God, I've got life. If I believe in that God, I've won. I've won. Don't let yourself believe in these false, phony gods. These things that you make with your hands. Don't put your hope in anything else but Jesus Christ. There's no other life anywhere but in Him. God has given Habakkuk plenty of reason to trust Him, to follow Him. He opens his mind up to the bigger picture. He says, wait for it. Look, it's big. Wait for it. Don't think about your small, little, insignificant. Be careful with that, not insignificant, but the little problems that can seem to overwhelm us. These are actually very large problems, aren't they? But for you and for me, I don't know about you, but I can be overwhelmed by a little insignificant problem. God is looking at Habakkuk in a very dark moment and showing him more dark moments ahead. But then he shows him this. The darker moments turn to light, and the unjust are punished, and the righteous have life. So what does this kind of faith look like? What does this mean for you and me? Is there anything that we can take away from here? What does this faith look like? Do I just say, okay, I I have this faith. I'm not in the same situation that Habakkuk is in. I'm not facing this exact thing that he is in. How do I have faith? What will it look like? Well, I want to show us something that while, while it's not the main point of the text, it's faith, just having a simple faith in God, trusting in him. I want to show us something that I don't think it's so insignificant to put it off as an aside. I think it's actually something that's very significant. And while we don't see a lot, maybe in a positive manner of positive, what is, he just simply, God, he says, shows what's going to happen to the evil man. He says, believe me, follow me, wait for it, wait for me. So the thing that we're told to do is to wait. But if we, if we look at this and look at negative faith, I think we can be helped out quite a bit. What is it to, to have faith? What's it going to look like? Well, negative faith, the antithesis of faith, opposite of faith, No trust in God, a trust in self. The one who's upright, or is not upright, he's puffed up. He's proud of himself, he's proud of what he does. It's easy to see that the Chaldeans 
were proud of themselves. And everything that they did was to, to build this world around themselves. So they built this world, they built this empire, and they took out everybody in the way to build this empire around me. So rather than trusting and believing in God and his coming, in his kingdom, and his empire, I'm going to build my own. I'm going to build my own. And just looking at this, just taking something away from this, without having to read anything into this, What does it look like to build your own empire? You've got to destroy everybody in your path. See, if you want to build your kingdom, everybody is is competition to you and to your kingdom. I can only put people around me in my kingdom that's going to build me up, that's going to prop me up, that's going to build for me. That's going to help me. I need to destroy people in the way. You see a lot of people do this to get fame or wealth or whatever. Just destroying people. Why is that? Because if you look at 18 through 19, that picture of those false idols, those phony idols who are made of metal and who are made of wood. They have no breath in them at all. These idols that you prop up, that we prop up, of power, of significance, of beauty, of refuge, they don't serve us. There's no breath in these idols at all. There's no help. There's no help. So if you don't trust in God, you only have you to trust in. The only help's going to come from me. The only way I'm going to have life, you see, the only way that I'm going to have any kind of significance is if I do it. But Jesus says, I will give you life. I'll give you refuge. Come to me. If you're thirsty, I will give you drink. I will protect you. I will watch over you. I will exalt you. Be humble. These idols can't promise any of that. So if you don't trust in God, the world is your competition. I've got to get me my life. I've got to get power. I've got to get all these different things. It's very clear here. Very clear on the way to destruction or on the way to uh, building their empire, they cause destruction everywhere. Sometimes we look at people, just the Chaldeans, they're just, we look at these as, well, there's righteous people and unright. They're just good and bad people. The difference that we see here in Habakkuk are people who trust in God, they're righteous. People who do not trust in God are wicked and do wicked things. In Psalm 37, it's it's a psalm that, that just parallels this. It talks about how we need to wait, how we need to trust, how we need to commit our way to the Lord. It's it's speaking of in times of difficulty when the enemy's coming upon us. And there's a simple little verse in there that says, Do not fret. Do not fret, for it only tends to evil. So So you know what that means? Do not fret. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. See, when you're anxious and when you worry... You're not trusting in God. 
You, you start to take things on your own. You start to make your own plans. You're not trusting in the Lord. And God said it only tends to evil. So not trusting in the Lord only tends to evil. It only tends to destruction of other people. What does that psalm say to do? In several places it says do good to people. Do good to others. Do good. Trust me. Do good. You see how trusting in God for your life, not just your eternal life, but all of life, you see how trusting in God with your life allows you, it frees you up to love people. It frees you up to care about people. They're not your enemy. They're not your competition. Anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ will be saved. I don't have to build my empire. God has built his empire and he's invited me to it. He saved me to it. Trusting in God frees you up to love others. Where trusting in yourself makes you use others. Makes you use others. You need to see that. We need to know that. This is a, the, the, the whole law, right? It's hung on these two commandments. They're, they're the same commandment. Love God and love people. Well, how can you declare, i got to love God and love? Can't I just love God? No, you can't love God. First John tells us you can't love God without loving other people. Why is this, God? Because if you don't love other people, you don't trust me. If you don't love other people, you don't trust me. You see them only as competition. You see them only as to use. You don't trust me. This is why God can say that. This is why when he separates the sheep and goats in Matthew 24, and, and here's all the things that, that people did to help other people, to love other people, to encourage other people, to save other people. All these things that you did, he says, when you did that to the least of these, you did them unto me. And those who didn't do those things didn't do them unto me. Well, what, what do you mean, God? What do you mean? How can we? I loved you. I just didn't help other people. This is, this is why it all connects together. Because if you don't trust me, you can't love people. Trusting God. Faith in God. It's the, it's the definition of the Christian life. If you have faith in God, it shapes the way you live. If you have faith in God, it shapes the way you think. If you have faith in God... It shapes the way you treat other people. Faith isn't some ambiguous, theoretical kind of thing that we just claim that we have. We can see faith. We can see faith. 
What better picture of faith do we have than Jesus going to the cross on our behalf and being killed for you and me so that we could have life hanging there knowing that he's going to die and trusting the Father to raise him again. He knows God. He knows God. He is God. He knows the Father. He knows the future. He believes the Father. He asked if there would be any other way to take this cup from me. Do we have to go through it like this? Yes. Yes, we have to go through it like this. And so he went willingly to the cross because of love for us and faith in the Father for his resurrection. We can have that kind of faith too. We can have that kind of faith that the Father will raise us up from the dead. Romans 8.11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit that dwells in you. We can have that kind of confidence that Jesus had when he went to the cross, knowing that he would get the Father, knowing that he would be reunited with the Father, knowing that the Father would raise him from the grave. We can have that, that same Spirit's in us. That same Spirit is in us to raise us up from the dead. What can come against us? What's there to fear? What's there to have anxiety about? We win. Don't you see the end? We win. God has given us a clear picture of the end. Revelation. Revelation, he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back again. Heaven is coming. Verse 11 of chapter 19 says this, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, in his head, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God of the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming back. He's coming. And those who believe in him will reign with him, are victorious. Just, the just will be saved. Those who have put their faith in him, those who have lived out a faith that he has given to them, those that in the dark night of the soul, those in the hard experience of life, we don't fret, we don't start worrying, we don't change the core. I just believe him. I just follow him. Those, those will be saved with that kind of faith. I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of faith, you might say. I want, I want faith. How do I get this faith? God will freely give it to you. 
Ask, ask for faith. Ask for hope. Ask for him. Ask for the one who gives life. Ask for that. If you've never put your faith in him, today, put your faith in him. Trust that God. Trust the only God there. At the end of chapter 2 that we see, he is seated on his throne. Trust that God. Put your faith in that God. Yes, you cannot see. No one has seen him. No one has seen the Father. We will see the Father. Put your faith in Him. I don't have that. Pray for that. Ask to receive that. God, give me that kind of faith. And, and, and when you're walking, and when you're walking in, 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 the, in the days of life, when you're walking through this, whether you're saved or unsaved, whether you are, wherever you're at on your Christian road, don't, don't fret in anywhere. Don't be anxious about anything. If you're anxious about it, stop and repent. This is about all we see in that Psalm 37 of what we're to do. Stop and repent. Quit trying to build your life. Quit trying to look ahead and steer your life in a way that is, is, gives you power, gives you comfort, gives you refuge. Trust God in all circumstances. Trust Him. Trust God. Trust Him. Let's pray. God, I pray that we here today, Lord, if there's anyone here today that, that has never put their faith in You, that has never hoped in Jesus Christ and, and His coming back, like we read in chapter 19 of Revelation, if we've never thought about that, He's coming if we've never hoped in you, God, I pray that we will hope in you today. That you will, by your spirit, allow people to see and to believe what is coming. That you are coming again. And God, for those of us that, that maybe have, have lost a little bit of hope, or those of us whose faith seems so small, or those of us who, who, who walk and, and, and don't seem to get anywhere and, and, and are tossed to and fro by the waves of the earth, Lord, that we just have a hard time seeing and believing. Just wreck us with this, Lord, just that, that we would just simply trust you, that we would walk in a kind of faith that is just, we would, we would get up in the morning and say, what now, God? What do I do? Where do I go? I don't want to start my day without your help, without you leading me. I don't want to do life on my own anymore. I'm tired of it, God. I'm tired of trusting in my way. I'm tired of trusting in the ways of man and looking and just having to plot and to plan every little thing having no trust in you. God, forgive me for that. God, allow us to repent over and over and over the days and the moments and the times that we do not trust in you. God, help us to trust you. Help us to trust you. Give us faith to walk in the dark. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's communion up here. Uh, Come on up. For those of you who have faith in Jesus Christ and have put your hope in Him, He's taken you from this dark place of the world to light. Rejoice and celebrate with the rest of us today. Come and take communion. Remember what He has done for you. Uh, come up and take it during the middle of this song and go back to your seat and take it on your own.
Oh, my red. 
Father, as we come to the table, to the Eucharist, to a time of thanksgiving, Lord, we remember your past faithfulness. Lord, should we ever wonder if you are inactive, God, we can look at the cross see that you are very involved. You've got a plan, Lord. You've been faithful to us, God. And the fact that you've brought us here this morning to hear from Habakkuk. The message that was written upon tablets that is still given today by the preachers, that the heralder can take it with swiftness and run and preach it, just as Martin Luther took the words that the just shall live by faith, and he pinned them to the chapel door and he said, we must come back to the word of God, we must come back to surrender and trust in the almighty God. alive today, God, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the spirit that gives the utterance. And Lord, where we have put our trust in man-made systems, in people, in ourself, in things, God, they will fail. Fail miserably.
name of Jesus.